0: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Chaldean Priest Show. This is your host, Father Daniel, and today I'll be talking about the four evangelists, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, as we meditate on the Basilica hymn of this liturgical season, the season of the Apostles, according to the Chaldean liturgy. All right, why don't we get started? Yes, it's still baseball season, and unfortunately, the San Diego Padres have been on a very bad losing streak. I really don't want to talk about it, but I still have faith in them. I think we're going to make it all the way to the World Series, but we'll see what happens. So, today's Basilica hymn, as I said, is about the four evangelists. So, let's get started. It says this, O holy apostles who preached and taught the new gospel in the four corners, and uprooted the thorns that the evil one planted through his weeds, and planted good seed by means of their teaching, and fulfilled and completed the charge they accepted, and transmitted this to the teachers and priests, O victorious athletes, O true pillars, supplicate and plead to Christ for peace. Just a quick side note. I love the fact that the Chaldean church fathers mentioned these men as athletes because that just goes to show that they used all of their energy in preaching the gospel. And who knows, maybe they're working out too. But that's just a theory of mine. Um, But I mean, anyone during that time needed to stay in good shape in the work that they did and the journeys that they took. So that's that. So. We hear about the gospel all the time. We hear about these gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all the time, but who are they and what is the gospel? So what I want to underscore in this episode for today is getting a better understanding of the gospel and not just hearing about it and thinking, okay, that's the same old thing I've been hearing Uh, all the time, whether it's at Mass on Sunday or if I go to daily Mass or if you even read the Bible at home. We need to know what we're reading and you'd be surprised how much more fruit could come from that. So the Gospel writers, one thing to keep in mind is that each one of these men is a different person. And just like any other different person, we all have different personalities and different ways we approach certain situations. And these four gospel writers, they approached writing scripture in their own method and in their own way of going about it. So you'll notice that each one of these gospel writers has a certain either animal or person that's attributed to them. For example, the Gospel of Matthew, what's attributed to him is angel slash man. And one of the reasons is because Matthew's Gospel begins with a genealogy. And the first story is the angel appearing to Joseph. And then with Mark, we have the lion which represents John the Baptist being in the desert and in the beginning of uh, Mark's gospel, we see Jesus with the beasts. And in Luke, what's attributed to him is the ox, the ox at the manger, at the nativity scene. And then John, we have the eagle attributed to him. And I love this the most because the ancients believed that As an eagle, when an eagle would be hunting, typically they would have one eye go down to their prey and one eye staying up. And the reason why the eagle is attributed to John is because he is always looking at both the divine and human nature of Christ. And that's one of the reasons why John's gospel is not part of the Synoptic Gospels. And we'll get to that later, but... He has a very different approach in the life of Christ that's different from those of the synoptics, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And these creatures traditionally is said that is taken from Ezekiel 1 and Ezekiel 10. And we see them show up in that manner. And as we know in theology, every number, every name, everything has a meaning to it. And as we saw in this Basilica hymn, it said that these men who preached and taught the new gospel in the four corners of the earth, and that's why we have four writers of the gospel, because they are covering the four corners of the earth. And this number four is very significant, right? So there are four winds and seasons, and the four corners is symbolic because when you draw out four corners, you get a flat shape to symbolize an altar in which the sacrifice will be offered. So I want to first go through each one of these gospel writers, and then I, I will get to the Basilica hymn and interpreting that in light of having a better understanding of the four gospel writers. So first, Matthew. He's always listed as first among the collection of Gospels, and obviously the authorship is attributed to St. Matthew. That's a very traditional interpretation of the authorship of the Gospel of Matthew. So the Gospel of Matthew has very important elements that you only see in the Gospel of Matthew. For instance, Jesus is identified as Emmanuel, which means God with us. We only see this in the Gospel of Matthew. And most of what we know about St. Joseph is from the Gospel of Matthew. And again, we see the Tsar of Bethlehem, the epiphany where the Magi bring gold, frankincense, and myrrh to, to Jesus in the manger. And we also see the slaughter of the innocents. And just a side note, there's a special day dedicated in the Chaldean liturgical calendar for uh, the slaughter of these Uh, innocent children. We see the Sermon on the Mount in the Gospel of Matthew. We see Jesus' words to Peter in Matthew 16. We see Jesus use the word church in the Gospel of Matthew, which is unbelievable. And remember, Matthew was a tax collector and he was chosen by Christ to be one of the 12. And Matthew really gives us a very unique view on the life of christ and his ministry and something to keep as a backdrop so who matthew's audience was it was i mean a jewish background assumed so you see a lot of sophisticated use of the old testament in the gospel of matthew and you see him uh, use this strategy in order for his audience to understand where he was getting at, or or why he's saying a certain thing in his gospel. So, a basic structure of the Gospel of Matthew is, in the beginning, he has his prologue of the narrative, right? The ancestry and infancy of Jesus. And then, in the first part, you see John the Baptist and early Christianity. In Book 2, you see Jesus' miracles and his commission of the Twelve. In Book 3, you see the growing controversy And the New Kingdom. In Book 4, you see Jesus instructing Peter in the Twelve. And in Book 5, Jesus travels to Judea and enters Jerusalem. And then the epilogue is the Passion Week narrative. So now going to the Gospel of Mark. So one thing we need to keep in mind is that Mark was not one of the Twelve. And it's attributed to Mark, so we believe that this is Mark, who is also known as John Mark from the Acts of the Apostles. You can see this in Acts 12.25 or Acts uh, 15.37. He was the cousin of Barnabas and one of Paul's companions. So tradition tells us that Mark, his information from Peter's preaching. And what's interesting about this is that Simon, Simon Peter, is introduced first in Mark's gospel, and there's a big emphasis on him. And the book also ends with Simon. And something that also qualifies this premise is that Peter's preaching to Cornelius in Acts 10.36 has the same structure as Mark's gospel, which makes sense that, you know, he would be preaching to John Mark. Who we hear about in the Acts of the Apostles. So the outline of his gospel, uh, generally speaking, he has a prologue. He has um, the introduction. He has the public ministry of Christ, his passion narrative, and the epilogue. And his audience, unlike Matthew, was a Gentile audience. So you'll see Mark explaining very distinctive. Jewish customs, you'll see him translate Aramaic words and phrases, and he'll use Latinized terms instead of something that's equivalent in the Greek. And the story climaxes with the confession of the Roman soldier in front of the crucifixion. And one of my favorite things about Mark's gospel is that he is short and sweet and gets straight to the point. So, he's very fast-paced in his gospel. So, you'll see the word immediately used over 40 times in 16 chapters, which means, okay, here's what it is, let's get to the next point, and so on and so forth. So, some of the main themes of Mark's gospel is seeing Jesus as a healer and an exorcist. We'll see a lot of this in Mark's gospel. And, we'll see Mark emphasize Jesus' sonship, where he's recognizing Jesus as God's Son. And that really seems to be the goal of the gospel, because Jesus is introduced as the Son of God, and the demons are aware of his identity. And then we'll see in Mark fourteen sixty one through 62 Jesus affirming this. And then we get to the Gospel of Luke. So Luke also, as we know, he was not one of the twelve. So he was again, as Mark was, one of Paul's companions. And we see this in, for example, the second letter to Timothy. It's uh, 2 Timothy 4.11 where he says, Luke alone is with me. And then we see this um, also in other places. In Paul's writings, but Luke was definitely one of Paul's companions. And the Gospel of Luke is like a Shakespeare play. There's a lot of drama. And for example, Luke begins with Zechariah and Elizabeth. And Luke does this for us to understand and appreciate the main people of his Gospel, and that is a holy family. And now we're starting to see, as I said in the beginning, how these different authors had their own personality when they're writing this. So each one of them has a different theme. So other themes of the Gospel of Luke are, for example, he puts an emphasis on the salvation of Gentiles. So we'll see in Luke 2.32, Simeon, right? When he says... uh, a light to the Gentiles. And then in Luke 3.6, John the Baptist, all flesh. And then the genealogy, which goes back to Adam in Luke 3.38. And we'll also see another theme of salvation being for the lowly. And we'll see this, especially with how many women Luke mentions in his gospel, because women were very oppressed during that time. We see him mention Mary, Elizabeth, Anna, the widow of Nain, the sinful woman, Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Susanna, Mary and Martha, the woman with a spirit of infirmity. So finally, we come to John's Gospel, which is not part, like I said, of the Synoptic Gospels. And the real key to approaching John's Gospel, as Origen says, he says that the Gospels are the first fruits of Scripture and that John is the first fruits of those Gospels. And no one can comprehend its meaning if they do not lay their head on the heart of Jesus and Mary. So, in John's Gospel, he will never be referred as John. The code word, quote unquote, is the the beloved disciple. So you'll see Jesus mentioned John as the beloved disciple, and only 8% of his gospel is shared with the rest. And that's because one of the reasons is because John's gospel was written later than the other gospels. So he's assuming that you've read these synoptics already. And John's gospel is, I mean, there's a lot to say about John's gospel. So I'm going to dedicate the rest of this podcast to this Basilica hymn in light of everything that I mentioned about the four authors of the gospel. So in this Basilica hymn, as we saw, we saw how the Chaldean church fathers wrote that the apostles um, preached and taught the new gospel on the four corners of the earth. So they spread out throughout the world, preaching the good news. And what does this author say? So he says that these apostles uprooted the thorns that the evil one planted through his weeds. So these apostles were equipped with finding the thorns and uprooting them through their preaching. And a lot of evil that was planted in the world, they were able to uproot because they were walking with Christ during this journey. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. And the author said that they planted the good seeds by means of their teaching. So because they taught, because their teaching was fruitful, they were able to multiply that and root out all of the evil. And just like anyone breaking any vice, if we want to get over a vice, we need to replace it with a virtue. So they were virtuous men who were capable and willing to preach the gospel by any means. And then he goes on to say that this was fulfilled and completed and they accepted the charge that was given to them. And this is very important. They transmitted this to the teachers and priests. They did not keep it for themselves. Capital T tradition, church tradition, is transmitted both orally and in writing. And they did both of these. And then says that they were victorious athletes and true pillars. And at the end, we ask them to supplicate and plead to Christ for peace. At the end, it mentions peace. Because even to this day, we are in very need of peace because there's a big uproar in this world and there's a lot of division. And what really brings peace is Christ in this world and Christ in our hearts. So that's my brief overview of the gospel. And without further ado, let's get to the line step. I know I mentioned that I was going to comment on the Father James Altman controversy that was going on, but I'm still waiting to do that for a prudent time. But I just wanted to remind everyone to please pray for priests, pray for vocations, and pray that God's Holy Spirit could constantly work through us and give us strength to fulfill our duty because there's a lot that's required from priests and we are truly in need of as many prayers as we could get. So with that being said, that's a friendly reminder to all of you to pray Any priests that you know and any priests that you don't know or haven't met yet. You can pray for me if you want. It's up to you. But I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please don't forget to subscribe to this podcast. Give it four stars if you think it's worthy of it. And give a comment on the comment section and let me know what you think. But until then, this is the Chaldean Priest Show. My name is Father Daniel, and I'll see you next time.